Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. Delighted to say I'm here with Reiner Kraft, PhD. Reiner is a is a Silicon Valley veteran. He was once director of engineering at Yahoo. Uh, he also led the search uh, personalization research team at Zalando, which is a is a very large uh, e-commerce retailer site. Uh, and he is the creator of the High Performance Mind program. Reiner, welcome to the show. Thanks, Richard. Yeah, glad I'm here. Yeah, um, and I am absolutely delighted to to have you here. Uh, your your story, your origin story, I suppose, of, of what you've developed and experienced stress and burnout in in that role in Yahoo, as I understand it, I think will be familiar to a lot of our listeners. So I wonder if we could start there in that that period where you were experiencing that that stress and, and burnout, and I suppose where a lot of this all started. Yeah, I mean, I basically I moved to the Silicon Valley in the mid '90s. This was the time when the internet started, and uh, originally from Germany. But uh, yeah, it was an ex- exciting time, and then I started working high tech, uh, IBM Research, and later to Yahoo, and yeah, live in. In the tech industry, uh, can be quite uh, hectic, quite busy, uh, fast paced, especially there in the Silicon Valley. And at that point, I did not have any uh, training of the mind. I didn't even know what that means, <laughs> training the mind. And so I was just, I, I was basically focusing on technology, I was focusing, focusing on my work. And it was fine. Um, I had a lot of uh, great results, success. So like typical past, past-paced career and a lot of fun, to be honest. Uh, California has the sunshine, so that's on top of all of it. So uh, quite good. But uh, then over those years, the, um, the, the stressful environment at the end of the day got to me. And I got into this state of, I refer to mental exhaustion, where you could, at that point, you you still, you think, oh, maybe I can work harder and get stuff done, but it's the opposite. So you, you put in more effort and you get less out. And um, fortunately, it was not, uh, later on, I learned all these, these terms like burnout and so on. It wasn't even a burnout. But it was uh, probably if I wouldn't have done anything uh, in terms of changes, uh, it would have led to this. Mm. And so at the end, um, what I learned was that, yeah, uh, taking care of the body, of the mind, balancing things out. So this is nothing new, uh, but I didn't really pay attention to it. And that's where I got into a state that was, uh, yeah, it was not fun to be in there. And so it, it took, <laughs> it took a, a sharp, uh, for me, a sharp pivot what I had to do to uh, really figure out. So what can I do? And of course, when you get into this state, uh, it's not that easy because you lack energy and uh, that makes it hard, right? So. But at the end, um, looking back, it was glad everything worked out like this uh, because this was for me then uh, a time to focus more on awareness, becoming more present. I, I got deep into mindfulness, meditation. Uh, but then later things evolved. And I, with more awareness, I was able to gradually tame the, I call it the monkey mind, right? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> It's a untrained state of mind. Uh, so the term is not nothing I made up. It's it exists for thousands of years. The monkey mind, uh, but it is really what it was, right? There was there was this state of monkey mind. Now I can smile and, and uh, look back, but it took me quite some time to start really taming that monkey mind and get me then in a in a better state. I love the way you've described it as the untrained mind. I've not heard that before, but that gives gives one some hope that it's uh, it's possible to do something with this monkey, monkey mind. It's often referred to as just this thing we sort of have to somehow come to terms with. I, I like that idea of an untrained mind. 
Um, was there was there like a seminal moment or a or a, a a particular moment that sticks out in that time when you're working at Yahoo where it you had a like a moment of clarity um, that suggested you need to to have a pivot? Um, yeah, there was actually, but it was a little bit more for me. It felt more a traumatic moment. <laughs> it was I was sleeping at night and maybe two a.m. three a.m. I suddenly woke up, and then it felt like I have some heart attack or something. Right? You 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 learn about symptoms uh, when you read some books or so, and then so, oh, what's going on? And then emergency came, and they um, put me on all those equipment and uh, checked things out and took me to the hospital. And the pivotal moment was in the in the moment I was in the. Uh, going on the, in the ride, going to the hospital, all of a sudden, still puzzled about what's all the stuff what's going on, but that was the moment when all of a sudden there was this clarity. It came in, it was there, and I could literally look at myself, look at the whole situation, but I was calm, I was relaxed, and there was this clarity. And that was a pivotal moment. I said, oh, wow, this was, oh, what, what is this? <laughs> what, I haven't experienced this type of peace before. It was really peace and everything. And then when I got into the hospital, they did a few more checks. They told me uh, that, oh, yeah, this is, uh, it's nothing that serious. It's called an anxiety attack. And I said, oh, what is it? And so they gave me some uh, medication to pretty much calm me down. Uh, but at that point, I was already calm. Uh, and then nevertheless, the next morning, I got out and still puzzled what happened here. And But I, I knew at that point I have to do some changes because otherwise, uh, I mean, this was a clear sign. You have to do some changes. Mm. Isn't that interesting that that was considered normal, right? Like that's the society we live in right now where someone having an anxiety attack is is a normal yeah, occurrence for people in these hospitals. Yeah, yeah and I, I had no clue what this is. And I, I know yeah. people were, were talking about that before. I was usually smiling, uh, what anxiety and heck, what, what, what should that be? <laughs> Why would, right? But if you, if you then have these symptoms and then later someone explains to you, this is what this is. And then all of a sudden, ah, right, and, and yeah, that wasn't pleasant. And those and they were um, those things were coming then over the next coming months unpredictable, and so things worsened at the end of the day, because now you had all of a sudden the anxiety was was now about when is the next one coming, right? And uh, uh, that was a pretty dreadful state, so it, it wasn't pleasant. And that's when I started. Okay, what can I do? And I learned about mindfulness, MBSR. Mindful, What's that? Mindfulness-based stress. Okay, that was an entry. Right? This is how I got mm. into the first time. I I didn't even know what mindfulness meditation at that point. Of course, people were talking about it here and there, but it was still uh, not that uh, widespread in tech or in that in that industry. And so that was uh, then something I discovered. Eight week program. And it's 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 kind of structured. You meet you meet once a, once a week. You learn some basic on uh, body awareness, meditation, body scan, basic stuff. But it felt really good. And then then I realized, oh, there is more to this. There is there is something there. Let's explore that. And my background is a scientist, so I I had something now to focus on, right? Because okay. I felt it's moving, but. I still had no clue what's happening there, right? And and how to how to steer it maybe and make it even better or more efficient. And then how to take some of these learnings into the workplace. I think that was the next motivation. Because the workplace at that point was also in many uh, I remember some of these days very toxic to be honest. Um it's usually when companies in are in these different phases. And Yahoo at that point was already more in a downward spiral. There were ups and downs, but most of the time there were down, downward spirals. And that usually brings out the worst in the within the employees and the leadership. Because people are there is fear all over the place, right? And that 
that combined with pressure uh, creates a really toxic environment. So, mm. so that's why I figured, man, this is there's some good stuff here around mindfulness. How wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if more of these leaders there would actually use some of these techniques and to, to have more clarity what they're actually doing, right? And that was for me a motivation since I was a leader there. And uh, okay, I, I don't have control what they're doing, but I have some limited control of what I'm doing. So I'll, I'll see how it goes. Right. Right. And, and just to, so of those techniques that you mentioned, you went on this eight program, what, what were the ones that you started to rely on or started to incorporate in your, you know, in your regime? Yeah, pretty much simple uh, breathing exercises. They were quite powerful. Um, some meditation, uh, sometimes 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I worked my way up to 20 minutes and sometimes then even twice a day. It's like meditation in the morning, one and a half in the evening. And so I, I experimented, but I still couldn't really get a good handle on is this now a better routine? Uh, should I do more, less, and so on? So for me, what's lacking was data, right? I, I couldn't really get a handle on all of that stuff. And that's why I explored. So what are how can I actually measure how things how things are moving along, what type of meditation works better for me? And this is where gradually also variable tech was introduced. Like nowadays, there's this URA ring here that can mm. track my activity, sleep. And there was even for a meditation, uh, Muse came out with a meditation headband that captures the EEG and can actually tell you how you're meditating. So those things got me excited because I figured, oh, wow, now I can actually put some data there. And... Uh, that helps with the the agile mindset. Since at work, I was doing agile all along, right? Yeah. Basically, build, measure, and learn. That was a completely natural thing to do. But for mind and body, this wasn't clear, right? How do you measure your? Now I refer to this your level of present awareness, your LPA, which is defined as the time you're fully present over the course of the day. How can you measure that? How can you measure how, how your mind is doing, right? Different KPIs, so to speak. How can you see how your body is doing, right? What what kind of I mean, you go to a to doctor, you get some basic checkup done, they do a little bit of blood work, but is that it? Are these reliable markers to look at in, in terms of how you're doing? So these questions popped up over the, the past decade. And then I got into basically figuring out how to glue these pieces all together in this big puzzle. And this has been in the past, I would say, two or three years, this idea of the high performance mindset that you mentioned at the beginning emerged when I figured, well, if my level of awareness is rising, if my mind is getting better, to the mind I usually refer as the software, the software of the mind, the mind operating system, if that is running smoother and more e effective, um, and then if my body is get up in, getting in better shape, then things are coming together, and then you can really generate uh, or maximize the value that you can produce here, and so that got me excited to, to use this term high performance mind to bring these three elements of awareness, mind and body together. And then, of course, um, how can this be accomplished? How do I measure it? How what kind of interventions are needed? What kind of lifestyle changes are needed? How do I get to this high performance mindset? But this was a journey and there's lots of ups and downs, random stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nowadays, obviously, when I created then last year, I created this program, the High, high Performance Mind program, which then I did a pilot. But this allowed, uh, because the question was when, when I worked with many uh, business executives, tech leaders, entrepreneurs, founders, they always asked, how can that be done in, let's say, three months? So relatively quickly, and that was for me the motivation. Can I bring all these different things from awareness, mind, and body together in three months? 
and doing it in an agile manner. And this was the result in High Performance Mind program, which is now evolving and, of course, is updated and tweaked, again, also in an agile manner. But last year, when I ran the pilot with a small group, it was clear it works. And so now it's, um, I got excited and say, oh, cool. So it's reproducible. Um, it's uh, it's uh, data-driven. It has these data-driven aspects so people can actually measure, see what's happening, and can verify. And so now I'm basically uh, thinking about ways and how I can reach more even, or how can I scale it even. Right. Fascinating. So what... What are the what are the things that you you measure, and what do you expect to see change as people go go through the program? I think the the core fundamental piece is awareness, and this level of present awareness that I mentioned before, boosting this, this cultivating more awareness, and when I started working with uh, leaders, entrepreneurs. Uh, usually we start out in the first two to three weeks to establish a baseline. That's how you do it in a scientific way. Right? You measure, you establish a baseline, but one measurement usually is not sufficient. You have to do many. And so to get some uh, reliable number of what this level of present awareness is. And at the end, the numbers that came out, usually they're not... <laughs> they're quite low. So it's maybe 2%, 3% awareness. This is usually what wow. the LPA people is not high. And and, so, and and this is wearing a band on the forehead. Is it is that how that works? Or? No, no, no. This is this is basically so the LPA is is some some something everyone can now when I provide a few of these simple instructions can do it at home. There's no technology needed. It's basically the, the core is for the measurement is what I call a mindful minute. And a mindful minute is to be fully present, fully connected to the present moment for one minute. So if you would would take a stopwatch, right, mm. time it, and then you be fully there for one minute, which sounds easy, but it's actually not. Try it out. <laughs> right? yeah. But but if you if you're there for one minute, then you have accumulated one mindful minute and now if you accumulate these mindful minutes over the course of the day over your waking time usually people are let's say 16 hours awake so roughly a thousand minutes so then you can uh, basically divide these mindful minutes by these 16 hours these roughly thousand minutes and that gives you a percentage then and so as an example, if you're 20 minutes, if you accumulate 20 mindful minutes over the course of a day, that is about 2%, right? So your LPA is about 2%. And usually 2%, 3%, sometimes less, it depends. Of course, there's people that have more. Uh, but at the beginning, usually it's it's that low. And the rest of the day, so what do you do in these 97% of the day? Well, you're basically caught up with your mind, with your thinking, right? There is the voice in your head. There is the monkey mind. There is the all these distractions. You think about the past. You basically rehash things. You plan the future, strategize. So this is all happening in your mind, right? And if you would actually stop thinking and and, you, and start speaking, everything that comes to mind, you would speak, right? You would run around basically talking all the time, right? And this is where you're not present. You're basically identified with thought activity. And that is, it's basically completely uh, unconscious behavior. It's autopilot in its best form, right? And that is uh, the majority of the day. So if it's at the end of the day, if it's 95% or 97%, it doesn't make a big difference. And it's also not about counting here this this number as a perfect perfect number because it will never be perfect mm. establishing this number is a as you can see is a manual process and nowadays obviously some tech devices like this aura ring for instance helps you to calculate uh, mindful minutes it accumulates you can basically go there put in uh, say okay now i do a guided meditation and then you sit there for 5 minutes and then 
the, the smartphone is basically uh, counting these mindful minutes. In Apple, an iPhone is actually storing them in Apple Health. And you can look at the end of the day how many mindful minutes you accumulated. And so the assumption there is if you're actually meditating or if you do some breathing exercises, whatever things you're doing, that it is considered mindful minutes, that you're fully present. And But there is more opportunities to do this, which is the app is not tracking, and therefore the tracking becomes a little bit more difficult, right? It's manual effort, but it can be done so people learn how to do it, and then they end up with these low numbers, and then they say, great, this is the state of where you are, right? But now let's look at, in these three months, can we do 10x, right? This is usually, I look for some significant transformation, can we get it up from 2% of, let's say, 20%? Or if it's at 1%, can we get it up to 10% or more? Right, and that, got it. this is the type of transformation I'm looking. And then what's happening? I mean, for now, first, when you hear about this, is all a numbers game. Oh, yeah, 1%, 10%, 20%, whatever. But when you actually reach these levels, there is a significant change in your level of a present awareness that has a ripple effect to everything you do and also a ripple effect to your monkey mind, right? Which is allows you then to actually look at it with clarity and start to upgrade it and debug it, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I, a question came up in my mind as you described the, the mindful minute then. So that makes sense if one is meditating or, or doing breathing exercises. But what if I would deeply engross thinking about a problem, let's say, would that still be classed as being mindful? No. Right. Once you start, once you got, go into a thinking mode, then it's not necessarily uh, connected to the present moment because now you're actively rehashing stuff and, and thinking, solving a problem. So not necessarily... Um, not necessarily considered a mindful minute, but if you, for instance, if you brush your teeth in the morning and yeah. you actually pay attention, like these two minutes, what the dentist tells you, take two minutes to brush your teeth. If you're doing this mindfully by really paying attention, little like tooth by tooth, right? Really feeling it, going through it carefully, really being there, then what you realize, there is no thinking. So thinking is coming to an halt and you just focus on the brush, right? You just go through it. Mm. And then you actually you see minutes are not even sufficient. Sometimes you need more if you want to do it properly. But you haven't really, you haven't gone into thought activities, but now you spend two minutes being fully present. So this counts as mindful minutes. Or if you're in a meet in a meeting, most of, most of us are in meetings in, over the day, if you're actually paying attention to what the other person is saying, really being present, that also counts as mindful minutes, right? Okay. So, or if you if you if you take a uh, let's have a cup of coffee, right? If you're really present and you drink it, you really sense it. You 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 get the taste. You feel how it evolves in your mouth, right? That is also mindful minute. All right. So right. you can see there's a lot of ordinary things that you do anyway you're just doing them present being there and then the problem however however is at the beginning the monkey mind is so strong <laughs> try it try it out like do a shower right take a shower mm. you can do mindful shower you can actually try so this is that's what i'm saying try here in this context you can go taking a shower with the intention of really being present being mindful what's happening when the water comes down, right? It touches the skin, really experiencing this. But then I, I, I pretty much promise you after 20 or 30 seconds, the monkey mind kicks in and starts basically telling you stuff. Oh, you know what? There is this uh, appointment you have later. Have you really thought about everything that you have to do? And then from that thought is the next, the next, the next. And then all of a sudden you're four minutes under the shower, but you were all the time in this thinking activity, right? And that's where the monkey mind kicks in. There is too much thought activity. And this is the normal state of most people. Too much thought activity, right? And if you encourage the monkey mind, that means you, you let it 
basically just let it go on and go on and go on it's not getting better it's getting worse and then sometimes you can't even shut shut down the monkey mind you get you come home from work in the evening you're with the family and you're still in the monkey mind and thinking about work and and, and continue it continues and then some people can't even sleep they have trouble falling into sleep or they wake up in the middle of the night and again the monkey mind kicks in right so it's too much thought activity and because the untrained state of mind is uh, continuously it's like consciousness is jumping on the on the, these thoughts if it's not trained it's encouraging more and more of this thought activity and this is actually another of these kpis thoughts per minute you can wow. also measure <laughs> you that, manage that can you? yeah you oh can wow i didn't know that was possible there is a simple exercise you can do it. And in the meantime, even there is now technology that I mentioned where you can see um, what's happening or even with heart rate variability, you can see if there's thinking activity, let's say in a moment of silence during meditation. Wow. You, nowadays you can even see this with tech devices, but what I usually uh, simple exercises, uh, you can relax, maybe close your, eye, close your eyes at a timer for three minutes. and just be there, and then when you notice the monkey mind, when you become aware of the first thought, right? put in like put check mark, continue, come back, and then the next thought, and you write it down, right? So you can count these thoughts. It takes a little practice at the beginning; the numbers are not that accurate. Uh, but once you get used to the to the counting of your thoughts, like you count them for three minutes, divide them by three, so then you have thought per minute properly. And if you do this in the morning, at lunch, in the evening, at different times over the day, different days over the week, you get a pretty good handle in terms of what your average thought per minute is. And usually that number is at the beginning is already high, but then it gets higher and higher because when during the training, when you become more aware, when you increase your awareness, then you even learn to distinguish these thoughts and recognize them even better. And then the number goes up. And so then people end up just, let's say, 10, 12 thoughts per minute, or so even more. Then you can think about this, this mental activity. I mean, what energy this sucks if you have 10, 15 or so thoughts per minute. It's crazy if you think about it, right? And so the, the goal would be if you become more aware that this number of thought activity eventually goes down, and this is really the one of the key um, KPIs is, are you getting these thoughts per minute really down to a halt pretty much, right? And, this and so, is what that so what's, what's your experience of that? Like where did you start and where are you now? Well, at the beginning, I didn't even know how to to measure this properly, right? And I had, uh, and then I, that's why I said, when I learned how to do, how to really become more aware of these thoughts. At the beginning, the problem is there is a thought, you become aware, but in reality, there were already two or three thoughts because it took you so much time to actually become aware of this thought activity. You were already, the monkey mm -hmm. mind was going on. And then all of a sudden, after maybe 20 seconds, and you say, ah, no. but right, but if your level of present awareness is increasing, so this is this one force, if you cultivate more awareness, then you can better see where a thought starts, where it ends, and then you can count better. So in the beginning, as I said, I mean, 10 years ago, I don't know, this was my worst, my worst times, I think 15 or so was easily possible. It's and uh, it depends, like in the morning, it's, it's usually less activity than in the afternoon or in the evening. It, like, it looks like it's usually building up over the course of the day. And then over the weekend, usually it's also less activity. Right? And then at the end, when you train the mind and when you start working on this, you can gradually get it down in realistic steps that make sense, right? At the end, if you can decrease your thought activity from 15 thoughts per minute or from 10 thoughts per minute, let's say 20%, so from 10 to 8, that would be a good, a good accomplishment, right? And, and gradually, you want to get it down, right? The ideal state is uh, basically zero, right? This is where you want to get to. Um, and to this state, I usually also refer to the state of enlightenment, 
right? In the sense that if awareness is fully there, if there's no thought activity anymore, that means you're completely in a state of flow. And you can use this for different purposes. Let's say you're climbing a, a rock, right, or, or a mountain, right? There is no time for thinking. If you're hanging on this wall, grabbing here, if you make one mistake, you're basically, you're out, right? You're basically, um, you have to be present. You have to be fully present. And this is when you have zero, basically, uh, thought per minute. If you would measure it, there is no thoughts anymore. You're just being present. You're there. And this is when, when you are in this complete flow state, you can tap into your inner wisdom, intuition. And this is a really cool state from a practical standpoint. When I thought about it first, when, when I heard the term enlightenment, I usually were referring to these Zen monks in the monastery, right? And meditating for 12 hours and going into these deep meditations. And then they were talking about enlightenment state. But what it really is, this is something that I realized later, it's just being present. So you can be now in this state, right, where you really, uh, thoughts are gone, awareness is there, and you're in a state of flow with whatever you're doing, right? And this is where you want to get to, and the key metrics at the end of the day is the LPA and the thoughts per minute. There are more. There's many, there's more of these KPIs, mind KPIs that I developed over the years. They're, they're helpful for some period of time, right? And of course, all this counting stuff is, is just like something temporary in terms of helping you get to this state. Mm. Ultimate state of enlightenment, I would say this is the end state. If you get there, until then you count. <laughs> and once you reach a certain level of LPA, certain level of awareness then the counting is not needed anymore right then you can pretty much chill uh, but until then um it works it's effective there are certainly other ways of doing it well of course you can meditate for 10 hours but i'm usually a very practical guy because i have to get some work done that's also something where i where i feel there has to be some balance balancing the state of being and the state of doing right and if I would be in a state of being all day, right? What can I do then? Right? Well, yeah, I, that, that's interesting because that gets philosophical. Because we might argue that some of the great spiritual leaders just just did focus on that, right? And just created that space around them that uh, allowed for something outside yeah. of doing yeah. anything. That's what you're doing. Right? That's when you're creating space. When you are fully aware, you create the space for your teams. And then you let them do this, do the things. But you're still doing other stuff, right? You would, for instance, uh, you create these spaces, you hold them. But at the end, you're also doing some something. It's not that you're sitting there all day and meditating, right? So maybe you work on some strategy, Maybe you work on some new team health process. Whatever it is, there is also work that you're doing, and then you're going into the doing. But you can go into the doing state in a state of flow, in a state of awareness, and using this to basically get you through there in a very in a very easygoing manner instead of creating stress and drama, basically. Yeah. Yeah, the point isn't that you stop thinking completely. It's that the, when you do think, it's 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 more productive. Is that yeah. what you're you're saying? And and I was fascinated to see on your site you you mentioned IQ and EQ. But interesting to is that something you've you've measured that an increase in IQ as as a result of these processes? Um. There is, so that's a, so I would say IQ, usually there's not that much movement in there. Um, it was also, I was curious about that one. And usually IQ can be hacked more on the body side using biohacking based on the science of epigenetics. So this is something I got really deep into in the past five years, studying micronutrients, studying the body, the genes, DNA, functional medicine, really going deep. 
And yeah, you can you can hack IQ with on the biohacking side with the body with proper lifestyle changes with proper micronutrients nutrition, intermittent fasting, all the good stuff, proper sleep. Right, so there is ways you can boost IQ. But on the awareness side, what I was talking about as the as the, the really the fundamental piece of the pillar of everything awareness, uh, you usually see a rise in EQ. A okay. big one, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden, uh, yeah, empathy comes up, compassion comes up. For some people, they haven't even felt that before. And they say, oh, what is this? <laughs> because now they become aware, become aware, right, of, of those things. And it, it takes practice. It's all of this takes practice, weeks, months, years, daily practice. Then you get better. And of course, there is a few uh, lucky guys on this earth, right? They wake up in the morning and they're in this exactly in this enlightened state. Uh, there is people out there, like let's say Eckhart Tolle is a very popular, uh, well-known uh, spiritual teacher. And this is how it happened to him. Basically woke up the next morning, right, full in state of being. But this is more the exception. Normal For normal people evolving, Becoming more aware is a process, and there is no right or wrong. And for me, as a scientist, I just figured, well, there has to be a systematic one, and there has to be there has to be something that I can get there faster. And that's what basically what was motivating me, figuring out how can how can it be done, and pretty much applying the same same principle that I would apply to a typical software engineering project, right? Which is agile based on data. Yeah, and I and I, well, I do find it fascinating that we can measure that. I've not even considered that as a measurement because I, I meditate twice a day for twenty minutes, and I've I've experienced some of what you've described. Right, I, I'm in my forties, and I saw a post on social media just this morning about like I'm, um, I'm I wake up two times in the night, years old, right, making this joke that, yeah, he was at, at an age where most men wake up a couple of times in the night. Since I've been meditating, I, I just never wake up in the night. I sleep all the way through. Um, uh, and it's consistent with what you're saying. So I'm, I'm training, but I'd never thought about it in these terms. I just thought, you know, I, I enter a more restful state when I meditate before I go to sleep. And that, that helps me. I really, never really considered that my meditation was training my mind and that such that it was having an impact during sleep, quite as precisely as in the terms that you put it, which has really helped me to make sense of it, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I've I'd never considered measuring any of this stuff. It'd be interesting for me to measure now uh, how many thoughts per minute I have, and to speculate what they might have been before I started meditating. I'm like 18 months into regular meditation. Yeah, you you'll see improvements all over the place. I mean, there's so many biomarkers, and uh, I mean, meditation is well researched and studies. There's study. There's ten thousand of research papers out there in meditation and all the positive effects. So it's a very clear thing that if you're doing that for, let's say, almost two years, they're doing it regularly, um, this is cool stuff. So there's a lot of uh, impact there generated on the body, but also on the mind. The mind becomes with the training. This is training for the mind because the muscle of the mind, I call these conscious recoveries, usually when you're in meditation, there is, uh, you go in there, then a thought comes, but the idea is not to suppress these thoughts, but just to become aware of them. You become aware of the thought and then let you basically let them flow by, right? It's like yeah. a cloud comes by. You can look at them and then they go, they go by, right? And, and then over time, the mind recognizes that you don't care about these thoughts anymore. This is where the change comes in. So, But every time there's a conscious recovery, there is a thought. Once you get the typical, um, what consciousness likes to do is there is a thought. This, basically, you get attached to it. It's like this exciting thing, right? You get attached to it. Now you're identified with the thought. And then you, you recognize, oh, there was a thought. I didn't, interesting, but yeah, I don't, I don't want to, still be connected to it i just want to let it pass this is a conscious recovery and this is happening hundreds of times when you do a meditation and you can see this type of activity when you use a neuro meditation that's something like a news meditation or neurofeedback 
you can see that uh, this thought activity based on the brainwave states, you can see how it is, right? Is it more in a in a calm state, dominantly alpha waves, or even theta waves? Or is it going up more in the thinking mind, which is more beta wave activity? And you can see these things. And every time you're going from beta back in alpha, could be considered conscious recoveries. But this is now measuring electrical signals, pretty much. But you can do this without the equipment by becoming aware there is a thought and then you let it go. And this is also called the conscious recovery. And this is what's training the mind in meditation as you're constantly doing these conscious recoveries. And then the mind learns, oh, this is a waste of time. Why should I even generate these thoughts? They're not needed. Mm. And the mind is smart. And then the mind gradually is not producing these anymore in that amount. And then your thoughts per minute go down. And if you do this long enough, that's why the, <laughs> the training aspect, you do it long enough, you get to a point where most of the time there is no thought. You just sit there, there is no thought. Zero, right? You're just aware. You're in this fully state of being. And occasionally there could be a thought. But again, the, since you're not paying attention to it, uh, the mind doesn't care anymore. It doesn't mean that you're not uh, basically not functioning anymore, right? There could be sometimes a helpful thought. Maybe there is a thought comes up, oh, in five minutes, there is this podcast episode. I should prepare now. <laughs> so this is now a helpful thought because it, it, it got me out of my state of being in a practical execution mode. right? So some thoughts are important, but it's a small, it's a small fraction of these thoughts. Right? So let's yeah. say the scientists usually say there is about 50, 70, 80,000 thoughts per day. This is what the science tells us. And, and that's why when you take a number like 15 thoughts per minute, you multiply it over the mm. day. This is way less than this. So the actual, that's why I'm saying the counting is not precise enough. It's probably way higher. You can't even measure that, that, that precise. And maybe 1% or less of these thoughts are really important. Right, so that they maybe remind you on something or they give you, and then sometimes there is these insights that you get. They're also interesting and helpful, but usually those are not necessarily thoughts. They're just more when you're in a deep state of being, you can you can tap, and this is called intuition, right? You can tap yeah. into a wisdom, but these are not thoughts, it's just knowing, right? So that's another dimension that can be leveraged for free. Right? That's that's fascinating. I've never considered that a distinction between intuition and thoughts. I've just considered intuition to be high quality thoughts or something. I hadn't considered that that's something different. Yeah, yeah, a, a knowing, just a, a sense, I suppose, isn't it? A, a sense of something, perhaps, as opposed to something that's perhaps purely mental. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the thoughts per minute is a key metric. And as you say, you, you see people uh, reduce these significantly as they work through your program. Um, is, what, what, what might you say would be the next main focus after that for people going through uh, the high performance uh, mind program? Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, this is the... So awareness, as I said, is the underlying pillar of everything. And usually if the mind is too busy, I think the first few weeks is really getting getting this uh, busy mind a little bit calmer state. And then when the busy mind gets in a little bit calmer state, then you can actually start looking at your mind. And that means you can start, uh, you start to really recognize patterns, uh, behavior. This is, the mind is at the end your personality your ego, right? Your personality. Mm. You can start to observe the ego and be amused, entertained, all the cool stuff, what it's doing and the, the things that it believes to be true that are not. And I think the next step then is once you become aware of this, you can start debunking it a little bit. There could be some limiting thoughts, false beliefs, they're no longer helpful. Let's bring them to the surface through awareness. Let's basically review them and let's uh, reprogram them. There's so many different techniques in neuroscience on how you can do that. But awareness first is the first thing to 
to even recognize that this is happening. There's reactive patterns. They they basically get you everyday stuff that, that basically uh, sometimes the saying like someone is pushing you red buttons, right? These are re reactive patterns. Whatever that means, right? Someone says something, you right? You go into this state of uh, maybe defensive state. You go on an angry state. This is all auto automated form of behavior that the mind software runs and is completely inefficient. And so with more awareness, you can start debugging it using all kinds of different methods. There's so many YouTube videos out there, books, uh, approaches. But the key thing is you have to learn also how you can measure progress on the mind. There's also KPIs. For instance, how many of these patterns have you successfully reprogrammed? You can count them. Right? And if you, let's say, reprogram, let's say, two per week, is this a, is this a lot? Maybe not. Maybe you can do five, right? So think about how much progress you want to make. It's up to you. But reprogramming and upgrading the mind is the next step with more awareness. And in parallel, usually you need to support the body a little bit because the body has suffered all years long with all this garbage going on and excessive energy produced. And then, of course, if this energy is negative, there is a lot of negativity sometimes there in people. Self-doubt, worry, doubt, right? All that stuff. Uh, that can lead to fear. Fear is the strongest emotion among these negative ones. And if you're a state in a state of fear, then yeah, that's not a pleasant state to be there, but you don't have to be in that state. So you can, with awareness, you can become aware of it. And you can make changes if you like to do that. So it's not needed, but this is when the mind is not trained and is basically in this autopilot mode. And that causes a lot of stress on your cells, right? Cellular level. There is uh, these 36 billion cells or whatever the exact number is, right, roughly, that are highly intelligent um, and very sensitive to the environment. So you learn in, epi in the science of epigenetics that these cells, basically, there is a cell membrane and there is basically sensors and receptors on this membrane. And they can sense, indeed, they can sense energy. So this is amazing stuff. I mean, this is all rooted in science. There is no magic here. They can sense energy. And if you think negatively, there is negative energy. That energy has a ripple effect through the whole body. And what does the cell do? I mean, the, the cell is very efficient and it, it senses there is stress. There is, you know, there, is a, there is a stressor. And then the cell goes in a lockdown, right? This is what you do when you get in stress, you lock down. That means nothing goes in, nothing goes out. And this is a problem. Like micronutrients, they need to go into the cells. They can't go in anymore. The other way, toxic uh, metabolites or stuff that gets produced in the cell that needs to go out also can't go out. This is because the cell now is in a lockdown mode because of your thoughts, right? And this is why epigenetics is really powerful in the sense that it, now you have a rational explanation based on science why stress is actually hurting you. It puts all your cells in this lockdown mode. And if you do that for too long, if you have chronic stress, and most people do, unfortunately, right, then the body is not in a good shape anymore. So now this is why then this biohacking is a process, right? Kicks in. How can you, what can you do? What lifestyle changes can you do to support the body better in these times? Taking more breaks, uh, proper, better nutrition, better sleep, right? And sometimes, most of the times, there is micronutrients that you have to take. Otherwise, you get in states of deficiency, let's say certain minerals, vitamins, and so on. It's complex. And that one is, I would say, yeah, it's a, it's a very complex thing. It requires a lot of knowledge. And this is what you learn in the program as well, how to, at least basics, right? some really basics on how to support the body better. And then when the body is in better shape, all of a sudden you can meditate better. If the body can generate more neurotransmitters or can create them more effectively and can also break them down more effectively, then all of a sudden meditation quality goes up. Right? That's the interesting right. thing. So there is a cycle, there's a cycle between awareness, upgraded mind, upgraded body that helps you to actually 
introduce even more awareness, it's easier than all of a sudden because you can shift the mind into different states much easier. And this is called mental flexibility. So uh-huh. this have all the good stuff happening when you take care of all three of those things. And this is pretty much the uh, the approach what I'm using is really optimize all three. And this is then a high performance mindset. Wow. Well, that's, yeah, that's fascinating what you, specifically what you said about cells shutting down. And it makes sense for something I read some time ago about the relationship between childhood trauma and IQ. And and this could just be one of the factors, right, that, that I'm now uh, seeing a potential connection that w- we know that trauma can impact negatively impact on IQ. And perhaps part of the reason for that is we get a, a cell shutdown effect, which prohibits certain micronutrients that might uh, you know, impact brain development. That's um, that's just a, a link I'd not not considered before. That's uh, that's fascinating, and of course, uh, potentially there is some scone. So, yeah, yeah. Especially if it goes on over longer periods of time, mm. it's not not about short uh, moments of stress or anything. That is completely normal. The body is designed for this. But if you're doing this all day long all week long right for many months this is usually then when you see the the stress symptoms creeping up yeah and it also then makes sense combining it as another way to think about why sometimes people get trying to get healthy just through improving diet doesn't doesn't have the desired effect right because if if, if you're in such a state that your cells can't you know embrace that green juice or whatever else you're introducing you're not going to have the the impact Exactly. That's the that's the realization, right? That you can you can do all these uh, fancy good food and micronutrients, but as long as the mind the mind software, let's say, is in a negative state, in a busy state, it pretty much hammers on this on the body all all the time, and it's not it's basically diminishing whatever you're trying to do on the body side. So that's why. You need to get the mind to get in a calm state. This you can, however, only do if you increase awareness. Become aware of this, and then you become aware, oh, the mind is busy, and then you use some of the tools through mindfulness, through breathing, and that stuff. Calm the mind down, then the cells can regenerate, and then all the good stuff that you put in there in terms of micronutrients, uh, nutrition, and so on, then they have an effect. Yeah, yeah. Something I'm curious about, curious about, just given the conversation we've had, is that um, there's this distinction between yin and, and yang meditation, as I understand it, right? So the yang meditation is you're actively seeking to to uh, have positive thoughts, right? To to fill the, fill the mind with positive thoughts and positive visualizations and affirmations and so on, uh, versus the yin where you're simply seeking to to clear the mind or to 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 let the, the thoughts go by. What, what's your view on that? in terms of it's it's been a benefit or impact yeah it's an interesting aspect um i haven't thought about it that much to be honest i think the uh the way i think about things is that thoughts are mostly random they just pop up and if they get originated from yin or from yang who knows right but they get basically originated and they have not even necessarily uh, a judgment to it. They're just there. And they could be, um, when the interpretation is the interesting thing, when the mind looks at them and interpre- interprets them, and then they could be considered positive or negative. This is the judgment piece that happens mm-hmm. usually automatically. But it is another thought, right? So there is a thought popping up, and then you start to judge it. And... That's when it gets interesting, right? And if you judge too many too negative, then that usually draws in another negative, then you get into this feedback loop. But the process of what's happening or what gets generated is, in my opinion, is completely random, right? These thoughts are just popping up. And then if there's a bias, this negative bias in there, which is like just a behavior, then... uh, This is what happens then, right? This is when you get into this very mode um, or if there is more positivity, then you get more into an uplifted state, right? So I think there is, you have, but you choose what you want to do. And if you do it consciously, if you do it consciously, why would you choose the negative one, right? That's why usually positive thinking at the end of the day, if you become aware, you you enjoy this. Ah, and even if there's 
something that comes up, uh, you would think, oh, this is actually negative. But even that one, it's just a thought. And why would it be negative? It just is what it is. You accept basically what is, and you leave yeah. the judgment out, and that uh, helps a lot. Right, right, right. Um. So, so we've talked about so the the, the awareness is is key, and then we've talked about this. The next step is to sort of what is to work with the mind, notice the patterns, perhaps have a goal of reprogramming certain patterns. Um, let's say each week. Um, is is there um, is there any other vital element you know we've missed to the to the program? I mean, I'm sure there are many, but that just f forms the core of it. But before we uh, we before we close out. No, I think from from the gist that that's basically it. I think the problem is more to get started. <laughs> to get, to get, into the process is the hardest i would say my experience is the hardest step uh, because of the mind software the way you're thinking people have a lot of trouble focusing on themselves first making themselves a priority this is my experience and so they're not getting diligent in terms of putting an effort for themselves they would do it for their teams they would do it for all the family for everyone else but not for themselves and you have to make yourself first a priority you have to become to do this, you first have to become aware that this is actually an issue. Right? So it's like going back to myself, right? At first, I had to become aware, oops, there is something wrong. It's not, it doesn't feel good. You have to first have this opening there, this awareness that tells you, oh, this is, this doesn't make any sense. So in this moment of clarity, I had basically when I was mm. in this emergency unit going to the hospital then then there was clarity there then there was the opening and then still with that it took me many months and years finally to to upgrade the mind because the mind software is distracting right it's basically always keeps you keeps you away the, the mind doesn't like this stuff what i'm talking about Right? The mind likes to do a lot of thought activity, and it, it, it it's pretty much it's it's fighting you on that one. <laughs> you <Yeah. laughs> literally you fight your own ego, right? And that's why it's so hard for people to get started with this. Once they're in there, and they they of course go through some of the ups and downs and some of the hoops in the first one or two months of the program, then all of a sudden it clicks. Not for everyone, right? It's not for everyone, but for most of them, it clicks and then, ah, right? And then you get really sustainable changes, transformative changes in there once you you pass a certain threshold. That means concrete with numbers, if LPA has a sufficient level, is high enough, and you keep it up there for long enough, Usually the, the neuroscience tells us something like 30 to 60 days until some habits basically get reprogrammed. I would say it's probably closer to 60 days. Um, but if you go through those 60 days and you you, you somehow get some of these changes, uh, really stick to them and, and make sure they get imprinted as autopilot in this case, then you have a good chance of gradually keeping the pace and uh, getting through it. Yeah, great. Okay, well, it's been absolutely wonderful to speak with you, Ryan. I've this is you know I've had a lot of a lot of guests on the show who've um, come at what we've just talked about very much from a spiritual perspective and from different spiritual traditions. You are definitely the first who's come at this purely from a secular scientific perspective, and it's fascinating um, to see it laid out in in this way. And I thought this is going to uh, appeal to to many in the audience. So so thanks so much. No, also um, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, no, it's been it's been fantastic. And so, for people who want to do the program, learn more, uh, where where would you send them? Yeah, I would say on my on my website, themindfulleader.net. Uh, there is pointers. There's also I have a YouTube channel. There is the Mindful Leader podcast. So themindfulleader.net is a good starting point. I'm talking about the program there as well. There is also something like a starter edition. Some people are not ready yet. They want to just get a taste a little bit and see how it resonates with them. So there's different options and ways. And there's lots of uh, articles I wrote about these topics in the past years uh, that you can just go through videos and just see what resonates with you. Excellent. Okay. And we'll, we'll put that like link into the description for the show. 
Well, thank you once again. Uh, I could have spoken for hours, but yeah, this is this has been awesome. Um, yeah, thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Enjoy the the rest of your day. Thanks. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.